Welcome to Money Talks. My name is Mike Campbell. We've got a terrific show planned for you. I think food prices are on the top of everyone's list about their cost of living increases. Yeah, we got the June number down to somewhere like 2.8%, but if you remove the drop in energy, it's more still like 4% plus, 4.4%. Well, you know what? Food is at 9.1%, and it's a problem for a lot of Canadians. It's a very difficult item uh, to come up with enough money. I mean, we're not just talking low income. It's moved right into half of the population. I've also got Martin Peltier with me. He's a senior portfolio manager at Wellington Altus Private Council. You are going to like this interview, I'll tell you. Lots of things to talk about. I mean, the tech explosion. Where are we at with the overall economy? What's his biggest worry when he talks about you and about the Canadian uh, economy, Canadian situation? All of that will come with him. Plus, of course, I've got Ozzy. I've got Victor. He's going to talk about this really surprising move in the markets on Tuesday. I'll let him you know, elaborate on it. But he said, I wonder if that wasn't a bell that maybe we're sniffing a top here. I'll let Vic explain, as I said, but so much more. I've got Michael Levy. We'll be talking about the latest inflation, latest interest rate moves, all of that stuff coming your way. But first, delegates came from all over the world to Vancouver last week to discuss the global LNG industry. But both the prime minister and resource minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, couldn't make it. By the way, Mr. Wilkinson actually lives in North Van, so it wasn't a big trip. This is at a time, though, when major LNG deals are absolutely booming. I mean, you have the U.S. LNG exports that are a record high. you got Bloomberg, Bloomberg describes China as aggressively pushing to lock up long-term deals. Shell just signed a 12-year, a 12-year agreement to supply LNG to Morocco. Jijing Energy agreed to a 20-year LNG contract with Mexico Pacific. Indian Oil the country's largest uh, refiner, has signed a long-term LNG import deal with the United Arab Emirates. I mean, the list goes on, but you won't find Canada's name anywhere. Both Germany and Japan tried to strike billion-dollar long-term deals with Canada, but the federal government refused, instead reiterating their commitment to decarbonization, unequivocally rejecting the opportunity, I think, to play an influential and positive role in both the transition to renewable energy and in helping mitigate the fallout from Russian sanctions. I mean, the Prime Minister glibly said, hey, there's no business case for LNG exports to Europe from the East Coast. Now, that's despite the fact, by the way, that the EU spent a trillion dollars in the last year, last year and a half, for LNG. Now, to put that in perspective, that's about four times more than the federal and all provinces spend on healthcare. And the LNG export opportunity hasn't gone unnoticed by the likes of Warren Buffett, for example, because Berkshire Hathaway Energy has agreed to buy Dominion Energy stake in the Maryland liquefied natural gas export project for about 3.3 billion. I mean, the failure to take advantage of the LNG boom is on top of all the revenue we let go, we forego because of the cancellation of other major energy related projects due to government regulation. And overall, really, it's an inhospitable attitude toward oil and gas. And here's the thing. It begs a question for me, and I hope it does for you. Well, we said no to all of that. But what specifically did we get in return? Well, for example, for saying no to natural gas export opportunities and the cancellation of so many oil and gas related projects. I know there's some exceptions. I mean, you look at Natural Resource Canada says there's 13 West Coast LNG projects have been proposed. But keep in mind, only one LNG Canada in Kitimat is going through 
with completion in 2025. On the East Coast, while five LNG projects were proposed, none are going through. For the most part, Canada's message to oil and gas has been, no thank you. So I'm simply asking, what did we get for the tens of billions of dollars in lost capital investment, the thousands of lost jobs, the billions lost in government revenue? What do we get? I mean, the context is important. Canada contributes about 1.5% of global emissions, with the entire oil sand something like 15 one-thousandths of a percent. I mean, as Finance Minister Christia Freeland stated in an interview with the Financial Times in January 2020, you hearing this? She said, even if all Canadians ceased emitting carbon, we wouldn't move the dial. So what is this all about? What is the benefit? Because it hasn't been in reduced emissions, by the way. I think that's a straightforward question. It's one that every one of us deals with every day in our lives. Hey, if something's going to cost us money, in this case, big money, or collectively through government actions, isn't the normal thing to do is to ask, what did we get in return? But when it comes to actions to combat climate change, we've been reluctant to ask that straightforward question. I mean, remember, parliamentary budget officer reported that, what, we spent something like $60 billion in green energy projects since 2015, and no cost benefit was done. So you can't determine what we received for the huge tax dollar spent or how effective it was. But when head offices like in Canada moved to the U.S. because what the company said was the negative investment environment for energy companies. You know, according to TMX Group, operator of the Toronto Stock Exchange, the number of listed oil and gas companies with Canadian headquarters fell to 132 at the end of 220. It was 286 and 215. But what did we get in return for the lost jobs, the lost government revenue, all the support and spinoff employment, et cetera? I mean, the list just gets so many. I mean, there's so many other examples. Northern Gateway Pipeline was canceled. Uh, Tech canceled their Frontier Project. Trans-Canada Pipe abandoned Energy East after the federal government changed the rules after the application had been made and millions spent. So what did we get? Because I'll tell you, the benefit's not clear. For saying no. But we do have some idea of the cost. As University of Calgary's respected economist Jack Mintz wrote in the National Post, if Canada exported just an extra million barrels of oil per day this year, well, it's something like $40 billion to our GDP. And if the LNG Canada project and others were exporting, say, 28 million tons of LNG, well, that's about $25 billion. In other words, look at how much richer Canada would be more jobs, more tax revenue. And by the way, we would be helping Europeans in their hour of need. No, we said no to money. We said no to capital investment that could have gone to shore up our health care with government revenues, uh, help the vulnerable, put government debt on a more sustainable footing, put the lid on tax increases. I mean, you name it, it's a long list. While opponents of oil and gas have yet to come up with a compelling answer, what we got for foregoing all of that. One more question. Has any country ever paid more and got less in return for virtue signaling?